All right, everybody, welcome to the Barca Blogranas podcast. We are back yet again to talk about Barcelona failing in Europe. I'm joined by our good pal, Nick. Nick, how are we doing today? Personally feeling pretty good, but a lot of mixed emotions on the uh, Barcelona front at this point. So it's hard to be happy for too long. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, let's just get into it. So Barcelona, uh, you know, they were coming into this week with obviously low low chances of getting to advance, you know, Inter got to play Victoria and okay. Also the pronunciation, I, uh, I've been calling them Victoria Plazen and I realize it's not Plazen, is it? I think it's Pilsen. Pilsen, dang it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I've been saying yeah. Plazen for like two months now. It's fine. Um, yeah. I'm not going to have to remember them for much longer. So Inter, of course, take out, uh, Pilsen at home, um, four zero, no problem. Uh, Pilsen just love getting to be four zero. And before Barcelona even take the pitch against Bayern Munich, they're headed to the Europa League. And what was like, I mean, let's be honest. The last time you and I talked, I think it was early September. The vibes were high. We were feeling good. Uh, since then, lost to Inter, Bayern twice, Real Madrid. Uh, things are not looking as um, forward positive. Now, the league is still nope. very much there. Uh, what was your mindset? as Barcelona were taking the pitch before the kickoff had started, but we knew they were still out. Uh, what were you feeling as they were taking the pitch against Bayern Munich this week? Well, I mean, the way I look at anything, it's, it's, a, it's a football match. And every single time you get an opportunity to play in any single game, you should go out there and you should enjoy what you're doing. I mean, a good team, there is a lot of pressure, but if you have a lot of trust in your teammates and the system that you're playing with, regardless of what's on the line or what's not on the line, you expect to see a good football match and a good confident team. So I was hoping that, you know, in front of the, the home fans, especially that they would put in a good performance and be proud and say, you know, we apologize for not getting the job done in this tournament, but, you know, out of respect to the fans and to give you something to um, kind of have hope for going forward, here's a good performance showing that, you know, it really was bad luck and not down to the fact that we're just not up for the task as a team. And then they did the exact opposite. So I was hoping to see a good game and a prideful performance, but it was the exact opposite in the end. Um, the first match against Bayern Munich, I think, you know, most people would say like Barcelona looked pretty good. The scoreline didn't reflect that because Barcelona didn't take advantage of certain opportunities. Um, the gap between the two teams didn't seem that great. It seemed like Barcelona were right there. Uh, and then we see Barcelona get kind of outclassed by Real Madrid and then beaten down by a Bayern Munich team that wasn't they were trying you know I'm not going to say like a team like Bayern doesn't go out there and not try but they weren't playing for their lives like they they were good um where do you feel like Barcelona sit kind of in the European pecking order now that they've uh, gotten beat by Real Madrid and Bayern Munich pretty decisively in the European pecking order in terms of raw talent they're at the top they're as good as any other team, including Bayern Munich, certainly better than Inter Milan, certainly as good as Real Madrid, which is what we're seeing in La Liga in terms of talent. Um, but, you know, the question really is now being asked if we have a manager who's just too young and naive and making mistakes that don't have to be made, or, you know, whether he can get his, like, you know, learn quickly on the job and have us start performing at the uh, top of the European pecking order which is where we should be based on talent alone. So that's still what I believe. I, you know, look, you look at this roster, especially when everyone is healthy, and I don't see why on any given day Barcelona can't beat anybody in Europe. 
That's why it's kind of so sad and hard to believe that we went from all this excitement to where we are today so quickly. How much of the backline injury problems do you blame for this? I think it's pretty huge, but also, okay, let's look at the back line. I would say if Ronald Araujo is healthy, that Barcelona, you know, definitely leaves the, the group stage of the Champions League. And I think they can do, they can beat Bayern Munich. They can definitely beat Inter Milan. I think that was huge. Ronald Araujo specifically and Christensen maybe to an extent as well as a backup. But the other big problem here has nothing to do with injuries. It has to do with the planning in the offseason and the insistence on Marcus Alonso and the insistence on Sergio Des leaving and not having a good backup option that was prioritized to replace him at right fullback. Are you so, talking yeah. about uh, center back Marcus Alonso? Yeah, or center back, I guess any position really, as long as he's on the field, if you're Chavi, because he wanted him. That was a player, once again, that Chavi asked for, and now he feels obligated to play him. Uh, even apparently over Eric Garcia as a center back. So some curious decisions. Part of this is injuries, and I do believe Ron Rojo is probably the primary reason why they can't get up. But let's mm-hmm. be honest, injuries happen to every single team, and you have to have a plan B, and not dependence on one good player. So Chavi, it's, you know, it's part of what he was asking for when he was backed in the, in the summer is getting the players he wanted, and the players he wanted didn't really help him in this tournament. In fact, they hurt the team. Yeah, I mean, I... I 100% am right there with you with Araujo. And I think the thing that the thing that I had to remember, right, is in both matches against Inter, like they were without Brozovic and Lukaku. And so like every team at this point is missing important players. And Barcelona's, at one point, right, I think all of us were very excited about the depth Barcelona had, specifically at the center back position. You know, like when you have Eric Garcia and PK. Jules Koundé, Araujo, Christensen, like that's five guys you would say, okay, like these are, you know, maybe you only put a couple of them at the world-class level, but those are all good center backs. And now it seemed like, we'll, we'll talk about Xavi in a second, but it seemed like for whatever reason, the team, the organization didn't trust Eric Garcia or PK to play at center back in a, uh, what they, you know, thought might have been a must-win match, what ended up not being a must-win match, but they threw Marcus Alonso out there. So like, I don't know. I, I I don't know what to think about things like Christensen is apparently still not going to be back this weekend, but the fact that they were just, they had lost so much confidence in PK and Garcia to where neither of them could get out there is pretty depressing. Yep. That is definitely true. And that's certainly not going to help the player's confidence going forward and we're in other big matches as well. Um, I mean, and that's the part that's a little bit frustrating. And you really look at Javi more than anything else is the player selection. And I mean, I, we haven't even gotten to it, but to me, like the biggest problem of all against Bayern Munich once again was why Busquets was on the field. I think that it, he is like the center of everything. And I think that was even more so than Marcus Alonso being the left fullback, which to me was a little bit bizarre and he was a little bit exposed in those counterattacks. But the biggest question for me is why is Busquets still there? In games like this where you really need physicality and you really need speed, especially from your midfielders. If you don't have that from your center defensive midfielder, you put such a burden on everybody else and everything starts to fall apart around you. So he's still playing. He's still playing in big games at a time where you really don't want to be embarrassed again on a European night. He was there. And this is the thing that I just don't understand about Xavi um, that he's going to have to answer for one way or another. But to me, that was the primary factor and the most disappointing thing of all. When you have so many other options, I mean, 
still some depth problems at the center back position. But when it comes to center midfielders, he really does have a lot of options, and these are choices he's making. Um, eight days ago, <clears throat> Barcelona uh, beat Valencia 3-0, and they fielded a midfield of Franca de Jong, Pedri, and Gavi. Why is that not the big game midfield for Xavi, do you think? I think Xavi is, I think it comes down to system and philosophy, and it's at a point where it's not just hurting Xavi, it's hurting Barcelona as a club. This whole idea that Barcelona need to play a specific way, and they cannot change. Um, and in order to play that specific way, philosophically, there's no one he trusts other than Busquets, because if you remove Busquets, it's not the Barcelona way of playing anymore. So I think it's really being stubborn to say, you know, this is how we play at Barcelona and we're not going to move forward and realize that the world is kind of leaving us behind. And this old way of, you know, that worked 10 years ago, that maybe even worked to some extent for the past 30 years that we developed our identity around doesn't work anymore. So maybe that's the problem with Xavi being a disciple from the system. So he needs Busquets in order to keep playing the Barcelona way. Well, the Barcelona way, you know, we are playing with this incredibly high line that was just dangerous and we got totally killed for it. We're not dominating possession. We're not fast. No one really fears what we can do on the ball anymore. So Busquets is there and maybe he gives us a semblance of being able to play that way. Uh, but yeah, if, if Frankie Dion were there instead of Busquets, if he was the center defensive midfielder, he's not just going to play like Busquets plays. He He's unique. It would be a different team and the entire system would have to change around that. It's not just insert Frankie Dion. And I think that's what Xavi's afraid of. It's moving away from the Barcelona system. Um, and I have to correct myself. It was uh, uh, Villarreal a week ago. They played Valencia tomorrow, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, the V yellow teams, they just get to me. I get them all confused. Um, I want to talk about a couple more players individually, and then we'll talk about Xavi. Um, I, and I guess Xavi is kind of in, intertwined into all of these conversations. Uh, because he's the one making the the lineup selections. Um, why didn't I see Ansu Fati starting? Still, yeah, there's there has to be something behind the scenes, unless they're really, really just no matter what. This is the plan. They're sticking to the plan. Maybe for the next, you know, up until maybe the new year, that he's going to get very limited minutes, take absolutely no risks. He won't play in the World Cup most likely. If this is what Luis Enrique is seeing. But if not that's really the case, why not make the matches he starts the important ones? I guess maybe they don't trust him yeah. if he's not getting that much time. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's I wonder if there's conversations with the medical staff. But in terms of effectiveness, if you want someone who can just like score goals, he's one of the very best you can put next to to Lewandowski. So, uh. I wish we had seen him out there. I think it would be great at some point in time just to see what it looks like with Anso on the left, Dembele or Rafinha on the right, and Lewandowski through the middle. Um, I think that's, in theory, one of the strongest lineups if they're all healthy, but we haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, it's at a point now where now I guess Pedri is the experiment, playing him kind of as a pseudo winger on the left oh, side. Boy. If you want to have four midfielders on the field, that's totally fine, but you can't play a 4-3-3. Like, that's the whole thing. You don't have to play a 4-3-3. It's the other thing about Barcelona. You could do that. You could have – oh, I wouldn't want to have, like, Busquets be, like, the reason why you changed to have four midfielders on the field. But if you're going to do that, just don't play him a 4-3-3. You can get you can find a way to get him on the field as well. 
I would love to see inverted wingers. I, I've been thinking about this recently, and a lot of people have been calling for Thomas Tuchel to come and be the Barcelona coach, which would be crazy because he's anathema to what Barcelona is about and the way that he plays. But he likes to play with those inverted wingers, the three in the back. And you talk about having like more narrow wingers. That's what Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati would thrive under. And you never know, maybe even playing Dembélé through the middle could be okay. And Rafinha could do well there as well. So like, you don't have to play a 4-3-3. And I'm not saying we should go and get Thomas Tuchel, but honestly, if you really, maybe not right now, I think Xavi deserves to be able to see out this season for sure. But the question really is going forward, the manager really matters. And someone like who's super pragmatic, like a Thomas Tuchel, I don't think Barcelona would ever hire him, but maybe pragmatism is what Barcelona needs to really turn a corner and head into a, a new direction and not taking chances on having another season with a coach who says all these great things, who believes all these great things, but just can't get the job done with the, uh, with the players that they have. Um, who are the ideal fullbacks for Barcelona with their squad right now? It, let's assume Roberto's healthy. Um, you have Roberto, Alonso, Balde, and Hector Bellerin. Who are your primary starters? Uh, Balde on the left, for sure. He's only can play on the right if it's absolutely needed. And it's not, otherwise, he has to be the guy on the left, backed up by Jordi Albasto. I don't think it's Marcus Alonso. I think Jordi Alba is still the backup because he can, you know, especially in games where you don't need him to play defense, he's so dangerous on the ball still. And on the right side, the best player by far has been Sergio Roberto. And I'm not someone who's happy to say that. I think that's actually a damning like uh, assessment of the, the problems that Barcelona is having right now. But it is Sergio Roberto. He's the only one that has any chemistry with Dembele. And uh, he's a smart player. He might not be the Barca quality, but he is very smart. And uh, he's, he gets the job done. Maybe Bayerine will be better as the season goes on. But both of them are just... They need to prioritize that in January for sure. But it's not so easy. This is what they're figuring is that every every team in the world wants a right fullback because they're so in demand and such a small supply of them. So it's not going to be easy to find a right fullback. And uh, But maybe that should be the priority instead of getting a third string left fullback like they did over the summer. So strange. I just I think it's hilarious, like you said, about Sergio Roberto. Like if I had told you, you know, seven or eight years ago that Sergio Roberto was going to be the the first choice right back for Barcelona in 2022 under Xavi. That sounds like some sort of made up fantasy. Yeah. I think they'll probably go back to using either Kunde as the right fullback for sure. When Torajo is back in healthy, which will probably be in January. If nothing else changes, it'll probably just be, you'll see a lot of Kunde and Rajo playing on the right side. Together. You know, I'm seeing, I've seen quotes from people in Uruguay that they think Araujo is going to be ready for the world cup. Are you seeing the same thing? They keep saying that, and I think they say it to keep like their hopes alive, the morale of the team. But a little bit injury prone. Yes, yeah, so, so, really so he he was included. He was in, things worse. He was included in their primary squad seven days ago, or their preliminary squad. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I think they're going to put him on the squad just in case he can play, even if it's just like a few minutes. If he's, they probably wouldn't play a lot, but I could see why they want him. Uh, Uruguay is one of those teams that are just like extremely aggressive and physical and that's their identity and they will definitely want to Rajo there to I think they're a sleeper team honestly that go pretty far in the World Cup if they're if they're all healthy and we're actually going to talk about that later um yeah. let's talk about Xavi before we kind of move on from this um 
what I'm not going to ask like what blame you assigned to Chavi, but how are you assessing Chavi's progress right now? It's not good right now. It's uh, it comes down to some of the criticisms that we gave to Ronald Koeman and we have to be consistent with Chavi as well. Not being able to win big games, his champions league record this year and last year, is pretty horrendous. I think it's like five losses, a couple draws and like only two wins. His one big statement win was against Real Madrid in the classical, and that was huge, right? But he also go back to the Europa League. That Eintracht Frankfurt loss was horrible. And at the time, we were like, well, maybe we can. Uh, it was weird circumstances with their fans like, invading the pitch and having like a whiteout in the Camp Nou, which is super strange. But now going into the Europa League, you can't have another one of those. He has to, it's going to be difficult too. There's a lot of good teams in the Europa League at Manchester United, Atletico are going to be there, a whole bunch of La Liga teams. Uh, it's not going to be an easy tournament, but he has to go far in it. And uh, I think he has to win La Liga because if he doesn't win La Liga this year, then I think big questions will be asked. And what he does in the next Classico is going to be huge too. But the question now is after losing to Bayern twice and Inter Milan, is he not capable of winning big games because he's just too young? I think he has potential. I think all of us recognize that. But was this choice made to make him Barcelona manager? Did it Was it premature? And I think it's fair that we start asking those questions now because a lot of these losses have come down to the way that, you know, player selection in games is not really being able to use a different formation or different tactics. It's just all the same now. And he's going to have to find a way to adapt, move forward and change things. Because if it's just the same thing going forward, it's probably not going to be any different results. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and I mean that was the that was kind of what we were all talking about before he was hired. Was like we all want Chavi to succeed, but is it too soon? Is now the right moment? Like he has he has one job managed like managing something, and it wasn't in you know a high intense situation at all. And are we going to um, are we going to waste this potentially like really cool story by hiring Chavi before the squad's ready? And it turns out. Uh, we had so many levers to pull that we actually have a really good team. Like, like you've said, there's besides, you know, some of the fullback problems, like there are choices. There's, there's options for different, uh, tactical, uh, decisions and different formations. Um, but Chavi doesn't have the experience to know what to choose yet. It seems, and it seems like he's kind of experimenting on the fly and maybe we kind of assumed Barcelona would have time to experiment on the fly. Um, but they don't like the amount of money they put into this team, like they are a win now team. And it does not seem like Xavi is the win now guy necessarily yet. No, and it's not, it really does come down to pragmatism. I think this is like the Achilles heel of Barcelona. The fact that it's all about the, the beauty of the soccer, what's attractive, playing total football, things like this. And honestly, that's admirable in some ways, but that's not gonna, that's not the best approach to take when it comes to, we want to be a winning club. Real Madrid is a winning club, and they don't always play beautiful, attractive football. When we played Real Madrid this year, uh, this you know, just a few weeks ago, 
they only had like two chances the entire game. They took both of them. There was nothing attractive about that. They just sat back and they were extremely effective in their moments. And at the end of the day, what they care about is winning. And what Bar- Barcelona shouldn't pretend like they care about winning because there's no, they, what they care about is, you know, this idea in their head of what the right way of playing is. And you know what, if that's your, your first choice, one, you're going to have to get, it's, these players are not, they're not in a level to even play that way. But two, it's going to come at the expense of winning games. And now we understand with money and football, there's consequences to not winning. And it, it's going to make it even harder to play attractive football because you're not going to be able to attract the best players in the world. And frankly, some good players have come out of the academy. But if Messi was your once-in-a-lifetime player that just revolutionized everything, how often you can get a Messi coming out of La Masia? It's not realistic. Or the good generation with a Xavi and an Iniesta. We haven't seen it since. So they're going to have to be more pragmatic going forward. Well, and unless we get the right management, um, we might be wasting the Pedri, Gavi, that generation too, if we're not careful. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what it comes down to. That's the biggest. So for now, it's Chavi, and we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. We really need to, as a fan base, need to back Chavi and show confidence mm-hmm. in him and hope that it's an Arteta situation where he can learn that, hey, maybe I was the problem. Maybe I've been too stubborn. I need to find a way to change things up and see what works and experiment a little bit more. But at the end of the season, if he doesn't get results, it will come down to a manager change, in my opinion. And that's when I hope Barcelona takes uh, potentially looks at a different approach. They won't. It's Laporta, man. He's going to hire, like, I don't know. Would it be? I don't even know what the name is, but it's not going to be who we would want it to be if he did move on. Um We'll save the international talk for the next time I have you on because that'll be the kind of right as the World Cup is about to start. Um, yeah. I will ask you this. So you live in America. Um, yes. We're not feeling good about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, but I have to ask you this. Uh, the irony of the day before Thanksgiving, the U.S. playing England is just incredible. It's going to be hilarious. Uh, it's even more hilarious because both teams are floundering right now. Um, are you excited yeah. To and I, I don't know if you you know if you uh, you live close to family right so you're gonna have some sort of Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Chicago. Okay. We have a few really great bars in Chicago for watching games at. So I think it's just gonna be a matter of going out with family and friends and enjoying that day after Thanksgiving game at some. Well, it's the day before Thanksgiving, so there's a chance that the U.S. I what think they I think they play the U.S. plays Wales with the first match. You yes, know, that's true. We have a great thing called the internet. I'm going to look this up. Nothing's a gimme, gimme game. Like even the Wales game, if the United States plays the way they played against Saudi Arabia and Japan, they could they could lose to Wales and it could be really... Well, that's what I'm saying. There's situation. a chance like if they draw against Wales, and I don't know the schedule, like, but there's a scenario where they draw against Wales. Wales perhaps beats Iran before the US-England game. And then the US go into this England match with a basically must you know, at least must get some sort of results, maybe even must mm-hmm. win the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, there's, th- there's, there's a chance that Turkey day, we're looking at the U S in third place with a, a, not a great chance to advance out of the group, which is kind of, uh, it's interesting. And it's going to suck if that's the case. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, you know, as, as much as I try to figure out like, who are the good teams in this world cup, who are the favorites, I think it's going to be pretty unpredictable. And that game as an American is going to be really great. And, uh, but yeah, it could be a situation where both teams really need to get a result. And I think England is actually, we talk about like systems, Barcelona, United States also has an issue where they can't, like they have this system that they can't adapt from. And I think 
England has an advantage because, you know, for all the criticism he gets, Southgate is a pretty pragmatic coach and knows how to get results in tournaments, even if it's ugly. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I want to get you out of here because I know we we all have work. Um, Right right before we go, top three teams in Europe in any particular order. Top three teams in Europe, top three club teams? Yeah. Europe right now? Um, Real Madrid, I think you have to say, is number one because they're the reigning European champions and they're top of a La Liga table. Uh, two, still Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're in second place, I think that uh, they're just going to be an absolute powerhouse this year. And they're they just like messing around with teams. It's, it's really annoying to watch. Yeah, and when they lose, it's honestly just because, well, they're capable of losing. But they're, I mean, they're just by such such an attractive powerhouse team. And then three. This is the interesting Bayern one. Munich. Yeah, because I'd say it's between Bayern Munich. Are you being Bayern seduced Munich by is, PSG scoring goals? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's, well, PSG is figuring things out. This new manager they have, like Messi playing well. You almost want to give them some credit for this because maybe this will be the guy who gets them over the hump. The Messi stuff is like, them. it's kind of, he's doing some vintage Messi stuff in some of these games. Yeah, hmm. you know, I think that th- I just don't even know who the third best team is. I think it's like a tie between PSG, Arsenal, and Bayern Munich. And I don't actually think it's Arsenal. I think that they're going to just like go back to being Arsenal by the end of the season. But I think right now you want to give them some love and some credit for what they're doing. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll take it back. I'm going to say Napoli because they're on fire. Yeah. Okay. I was go. wondering if you were going to say Napoli. Let's Maybe go. Napoli. Let's just go. They're on fire. Got to give it to, give someone credit when they're playing really well. Just refusing yeah. to lose in Syria. All right. Um, yeah. Nick, I'm going to get you out of here. What are you, um, are you working on anything for the site right now? Um, nothing like too specific right now. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I am very excited about this Valencia game this weekend. Okay. Uh, seeing Yunus Musa, seeing Nico. Um, I think Atuso is doing an awesome job with them, even though they haven't, they should have won, I think, a few more of these games recently. They're fun to watch. I think as Barcelona fans, this is going to be a different Valencia team that we can respect because of their style of play and a lot of familiar faces. Elish Mariba is over there as well. Um, Cavani. So this weekend's going to be tons of fun to watch, and I look forward to reacting to that afterwards. It's going to be good stuff. Um, everyone, check out Nick's work on barcelonagranas.com. Anytime he writes a piece, it's a must read. And uh, as always, Nick, thank you for joining us. 